welcome to Discover Pediatric Surgery. My name is Andrew Grieve and I look forward to being your host today on this exciting episode. Today we're going to talk about what makes pediatric surgery such a unique, special aspect of, of surgery. Today we have Dr. Teshni Govinda with us. She's a well-qualified pediatric surgeon, the winner of the Founders Medal in her college exams, and uh, has a child of her own, just turned one recently. So she's exceptionally qualified to have this chat with us. Welcome, Teshni. Thanks, Andrew, and it's great to be part of this venture. Teshni, one of Dr. Mark Ravage's fellows many years ago asked him whether specializing in pediatric surgery was a worthwhile prospect. And I seem to remember he was pretty dubious about the idea that pediatric surgery may actually develop into a speciality and suggested that it was quite good to have as a hobby, but you couldn't really do it as your mainstream occupation. How do you feel now that you are a qualified pediatric surgeon? It was a different time back then. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, what colored that answer really is that the science was not really developed to support pediatric surgery. So although the congenital anomalies seemed correctable, there were no neonatologists, uh, neonatal ventilators or neonatal anesthetists. And the way they used to anesthetize babies at that time was with drop ether anesthesia. And it was all very rudimentary and experimental. And I think because the science has changed, we now have this very delicate ability to anesthetize and look after these children postoperatively. The technical surgical aspects, I suppose, were somewhat simpler to figure out, but I think the the, the varied physiology of the babies um, was quite a challenge. If you think about the fact that surfactant was only discovered in 1959, um, and neonatologists really also only came out about that time. Um, it was very challenging to keep these babies alive during the operative procedure. Yeah, pediatric surgery is actually a really young speciality and there's a lot of uh, new developments happening all the time. What made you choose to specialize in pediatric surgery? Um, I think it, it's a personality-driven thing. I always say that I think we don't choose to be surgeons. It's surgery chooses us. But I think an intentional... Um, Um, movement towards being part of pediatric surgery stems from really the wide variety of congenital anomalies you see and the real idea that the pediatric surgeon is a true general surgeon. We operate in all parts of the body, all ages of the patient. Um, It doesn't matter whether it's trauma or oncology. Your patient is your patient and you have to address all the needs of your pediatric patient. And the most, I suppose, special thing about the pediatric surgeon is that incision you leave on the patient's body is something that is a mark for life. And the better you are at your job, the better the outcome will be. And you're really leaving like you, you're able to really leave a lasting impression on that person's life of something that you've done. Yeah, it's a huge responsibility that we bear for our patients to improve the quality of their lives for time to come. Deshni, obviously specializing in pediatric surgery is different around the world. What does it take to become a pediatric surgeon in South Africa? Um, around the world, it is regarded as one of 
the most competitive specialities to become a part of. And in South Africa, we are now increasing the numbers of our trainees to increase our workforce as pediatric surgeons. And important is the exposure to general surgery. Uh, going back to Dr. Mark Ravitch and his seniors told him, continue in, in general surgery and then keep pediatric surgery as your hobby because that foundation is so important to your practice in pediatric surgery. Um, all the things you learn in adult general surgery apply to your patient as a child. So you need a good exposure in pediatrics in general surgery. You need some foundation of research. Um, a research background is important. Um, these days, surgeons are not just um, medical practitioners, but we also want to be scientists and we want to improve our work and we want to improve our outcomes for our patients. And science is the way medicine is going, so the development of that is important. The College in South Africa requires you to have your intermediate exams in general surgery, um, ATLS, PELS, or APLS. And um, as a requirement to pass your final exit exam in the College of Pediatric Surgery, now required to complete the Masters of Medicine. So research is indeed a big component of, of the, the specialty. So there's obviously a multifaceted approach to training in pediatric surgery, as you mentioned, and you know, general surgery is a good background before becoming a pediatric surgeon. Do you think that it's important for general surgeons to also be able to do pediatric surgery? Absolutely, because there aren't enough pediatric surgeons in the world to address every child with a surgical condition. So the general surgeons who are present in hospitals throughout the world will see children with pediatric surgical emergencies and should be able to do basic procedures for these children. However, much of the research that um, has emanated from this kind of topic has suggested that pediatric surgeons have better outcomes than general surgeons in certain specialized conditions like bilaric stenosis and intersusception. So although general surgeons are expected to treat children, there has to be a change in the level of care that we give our children. So what do you think some of the attributes of our patients are that make our job easier and also more difficult? Um, our patients are in the phase of growth, and with the phase of growth comes better healing. Um, better tissue planes, better blood supply. So technically, the operative aspects may be a little bit easier in children. However, that's balanced by the requirements of a more delicate, deft surgeon, somebody who has respect for the tissues and handles them very carefully because they are in the stage of healing. Um, you have to closely regard how you do an anastomosis, considering that that anastomosis has to grow with the child. And the techniques applied to do that successfully is very different from an adult patient. However, they do heal well. Do you think there's certain uh, emotional stresses on us that are greater than general surgeons because we're dealing with children? I think that because the children, child is not your only patient, that also the parents or the family uh, are part of the people that you have to deal with. Um, it, it makes it difficult. It's, it's a precious thing to have a child and it's a privilege to be asked to do an operation on a child. 
one has to consider that the child is growing and that also the emotional um, state of the parents comes into play in how you handle the situation of having a child who needs an operation. And that can sometimes be difficult. Yeah, sometimes we have parents that refuse emergency surgery on their child even though it's a life-threatening necessity and emergency. Do you have any tips about how we can deal with that difficult situation? I think you're a stranger presenting yourself to this family saying that their child needs an operation. And I think communication is really the key. One needs to just take the time and have the appropriate approach to, to allow people to feel like they can trust you and give you that opportunity to help their child. And if you can negotiate that relationship successfully, I think you would end up with a situation where they will trust you and allow you to proceed with the procedure. Yeah, and often we find that education or helping people understand the situation goes a long way to making people come around in agreeing to those things. Tishni, you mentioned uh, you're a stranger in that situation. You know, often we have these little two-year-olds or one-year-olds that have a lot of stranger anxiety. And the last thing they want is some strange surgeon to come and try and examine them or try and elicit what's going on. What do you do with those kinds of kids? I think um, as a clinician, going back to basics, we need to look first and inspect, not necessarily holding the child or having them lying on the bed, um, watching how they walk. Um, if they have a hernia, you can ask them to lift up their shirt themselves to have a look at their abdomen. And walking around often makes protuberances more um, easily visible. Um, it also helps to look for asymmetry. And examining the child on the mum's lap, tickling them, distracting them with toys. <laughs> YouTube videos these days is a, is a good tool to use. Um, but I think also you might need to be quick and not prolong the situation um, with needing to know what you need to find and finding it quickly. Yeah, and if, if in doubt, uh, bribery with sweets goes <laughs> a long way. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tishni, are kids just small adults when it comes to the operating room? We pediatric surgeons always live by the mantra that children are not small adults. And because of the spectrum of their ages, weights, heights, blood pressures, and the ranges through which they may present themselves, the pediatric surgeon always has to pay attention to the, the numbers for that particular patient that they are seeing at that time. Um, because everything will change depending on the weight. And I think it's always good for that pediatric surgeon to be pedantic about the details, checking everything, double-checking everything, and making sure everybody else is checking everything and double-checking everything. Yeah, so obviously we use different volumes of fluids, antibiotic dosages, etc. Do you set up your operating room different for a neonate than to a 14-year-old? The best care and attention to detail when you're preparing the operating theatre for a neonate is what is key to the outcome making sure your theatre is nice and warm. I think of a, if you're arranging a nursery for a newborn baby, um, that the light has to be just right, the temperature has to be just right. You need to make sure that that little baby is comfortable, not losing heat, has good access um, for the anaesthetist. And you want the atmosphere to be calm and relaxed, but 
you have to maintain a good level of control um, for the situation you're going to have to have in hand. You know, we often end up covering our kids in plastic and foam and bandages and all kinds of things to try and keep them as warm as possible. Um, obviously not limiting the amount of exposure, <laughs> which can be a challenge in those little those little people. A helpful thing that we have for that um, is also that we've been operating on with an overhead heater um, and not on the operating bed if temperature is an issue. So you need to consider very different possibilities, maybe not so comfortable for the surgeon, but definitely comfortable for the patient. <laughs> Tejani, there's been a big move recently to more antenatal care, antenatal ultrasounds, fetal interventions. You know, we were talking earlier about this amazing new artificial placenta and womb has been developed uh, in a lab model. That's all very exciting and very interesting and this shows lots of prospects and in places where money is not much of an issue and obviously access to care is easy. How do you think this fits into the third world? I think it's it's a great aim to have, maybe, for certain patients. But I think it's it's a very different world that we live in, in a different environment, where, well, look, we just celebrated Human Rights Day yesterday. And in an environment where so many people in our population don't have equal access to health care or education, basic health care rights like antenatal care um, and a proper antenatal diagnosis is not something we even have the luxury of having in our country. Um, So although science is progressing, we are lagging far behind in reaching that. And I think as surgeons in lower middle income countries, we have an opportunity to make change in how we do research and our research can be directed to making a change um, for the care that we offer not just the fetus or the child, but for the entire population that we serve. Yeah, I think often we we know what the right answers are in terms of treating patients, for example, like gastroschisis, but in many ways we seem to ignore the real basics that actually will make a massive difference in those kids, you know, in a third world setting, infection control, all those things which are often more important than knowing the diagnosis Mm -hmm. antenatally. However, obviously... Referral patterns can be quite important uh, if we do have some inkling of the of the diagnosis and transport in utero is obviously very important. What do you think about this whole sort of global surgery strive to try and improve surgical care around the world? Do you think it's a neglected speciality or need surgery around the world? Or do you think we're just noticing it more and more you know, with access to information and education? I think it is a real need, especially in our continent where most of our people don't have access to adequate surgical care. Um, In South Africa, we're fortunate that we have more pediatric surgeons per million population than anywhere else in Africa. I mean, if you look at some countries, there may be only one or two pediatric surgeons. And Training surgeons in in countries where there aren't any to do certain operations and increase the access to surgical care is is going to change um, the quality of life of children throughout um, third world countries. 
Technique in general surgery, there's a big move for people to become super specialists in hepatobiliary work, oncology, endocrine, breast surgery. Do you think that pediatric surgery should follow suit and people should really specialize in specific areas in pediatric surgery? Or do you think we should stay true generalists? That's a very interesting thing to consider. I think it depends where you are in the world. Um, if you look at certain countries, let's say, for example, Australia and New Zealand, um, there's almost a dearth of congenital abnormalities in first world countries where pediatric surgeons are not getting adequate exposure to treating certain conditions. Um, if you look at, say, maybe Japan and Asia, they have a higher incidence of conditions like biliary atresia and have more experience in treating those conditions. Um, India and Africa see many more anorectal malformations. So I think we're quite blessed in South Africa where we see a very large range of pathology and we are very busy. And I think it, it, it has a bearing on how you train or the training of a pediatric surgeon in a first world country and in the third world countries. And people have actually talked about how we can sort of increase or um, maximize the exposure to different conditions. I think that um, using the model of the supernumerary um, trainee registrars where people move to different countries to have their training and then go back home um, may make exposure or their skill set different. And then um, in, like people like us going to other countries to, to work where we, we can share the knowledge that we have and the experience that we have. But it, is, it, 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 it does depend on where you are. So if you see enough pathology, then it does make sense to subspecialize and break away because research has shown that your outcomes are better the more you practice doing something. Um, so it really depends on where you are. Yeah, I agree. I think the really complex, very rare things should probably be done in a high-volume center. You know, things like cloacas come to mind. But obviously... You know, pediatric surgery is a speciality of lots of rare things and being good generalist is obviously very important. Tashni, you mentioned a little bit earlier about surgeon scientists. I've always been a little bit worried about trying to do too many different things all at once and not actually being good at one specific thing. What, what do you think the role of a surgeon scientist is in pediatric surgery as time moves on? I think you have to decide whether you want to be a surgeon scientist for the sake of science and advancing science, or it has to be for, for the cause of social justice. And I think in our work, we usually find things that we gravitate to. So usually you may think, um, I enjoy thoracic surgery in pediatrics, and that's what I enjoy doing, and I'm going to look at maybe a, a section of that. Or... You're somebody that is passionate about, about maybe trauma in pediatric surgery and um, the social justice or injustice of things like non-accidental injury to children or trauma. And research, I think, um, enables you to, one, be more au fait with what you are interested in, makes you a, um, a specialist in what you're interested in, and also gives you sort of a vehicle to be an agent for change and bring about a change in either thinking or perception of something that maybe people may not be aware of. Um, so I think surgeon scientists are incredibly important 
And social media is giving us a platform that we've not really had before in sharing research, sharing your messages, and really making the greater population aware of things that maybe they wouldn't be exposed to in the news or TV or newspapers and magazines. So we have, we're living in a time where we have a very different opportunity um, to make changes in, in our workplace. And I think that um, we should view research like that and we should use it to make the changes um, that, as Mahatma Gandhi said, we want to see in the world. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, fortunately things have changed from people hiding their research from everybody to the point where actually our goal is to improve the care for the patients. And I think every clinician would be really amiss if they didn't at least audit their own practices and outcomes to see ways to improve them. So in essence, we do all need to be surgeon scientists to some degree to improve the care of our kids. And I think although we are busy and we have a lot to do, we, we really need to change the way we look at it. It's more of an opportunity, really, rather than something that's holding us back or taking our time um, to really see how we can make uh, our work better for ourselves and certainly for our patients. You mentioned that uh, social media and you know technology and all these things is playing a bigger role in pediatric surgery and in medicine. Where do you think we're going to go in terms of pediatric surgery and technology as time goes on? So I think in, in we were talking about um, first world countries having less congenital abnormalities because of better antenatal care and things like that. And three, simulation, sharing surgeries over um, YouTube, over the internet, involving people all over the world in sort of surgical teaching um, is how we're going to really share our expertise and our knowledge with people who are not exposed to the same um, spectrum of pathology that may be seen. Um, it is becoming a new method of teaching, and I think the pediatric surgeons throughout the world have, including yourself, um, have quite um, seized really this opportunity to share their knowledge and expertise um, with people who may not have you know, people at hand to teach it to them. The old model of surgeries and apprenticeship. And I think these days you have an apprenticeship with the internet. You can learn surgery in a new way. And it might fill the gaps in knowledge that we have. You know, as you say, it's an apprenticeship and in many ways practical experience and exposure, which you've mentioned to in, in spending time in general surgery before pediatric surgery. These things are all very important, but with the rate of progress of knowledge, you know, it's important for us to have the opportunity to stay up to date and really keep abreast of what the new ideas are and, you know, the best way to improve our outcomes as time goes on. So, Dr. Teshni Governor, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure, Dr. Grieve. Thank you for joining us on Discover Pediatric Surgery. Let your friends and colleagues know so we can all learn together. Catch you next week.